I had not had a break during that period. So everything yeah. I've told you right from the hair salon yeah. up till, you know, the, the radio. Like, yeah. I did not stop, literally. So I obviously had my friends and my family, people around me, but they got used to the fact that I was either out of the country You're doing here and there. or working, yeah. right? And so what made me stop was in 2012, my mum died suddenly. Oh. And when I say suddenly, I mean she was having a Chinese with my brother, went to go and take a nap and didn't wake up oh, suddenly. Wow. Like, And that was the biggest shock to my system. And I was close to my mum and as you can imagine, it was super devastating. But mm -hmm. it was also the first time that I was able to think more deeply about the right. skill sets that I had right. and about, you know, what I wanted to do with my life. Welcome to What's Your Story, a podcast from TechNova, where we talk to business people, creatives, and entrepreneurs about their personal backstories and the projects and companies that they built and are building. I'm your host, Joseph Curie. Akosia Annabelle was born and raised in London. From an early age, she always wanted to do journalism. She went to the University of Arts in London in 2001 and then began her professional career in the media world before eventually moving into public relations. She also helped run a magazine and had a stint in radio for some time. But after the sudden passing of her mother, she was looking to make an impact, especially in Ghana where her parents were from. Before long, she kickstarted Tech in Ghana conference, which currently holds events annually in Ghana and London every year. Fast forward and it's been 10 years since she's been running the conference. But let's start at the beginning. Let her tell her story of how she started the patent journalism to eventually hosting one of the most successful tech conferences in Ghana. So basically, I know we, you grew up in the UK. Like, where did you go to school? I went to secondary school, George Green's secondary school okay. in East London on the Isle of Dogs, which is now known as Canary Wolf. You know, gentrification and all of that. Mm. So, yeah, they call it Canary Wolf now, but it, it was actually called the Isle of Dogs. Isle of Dogs. Yeah. And what was that like? What was that experience like? Pretty cool. So I grew up in a very diverse community. You know, there were plenty of immigrants where I grew up, not necessarily Africans, but, you know, people from Bangladesh mm -hmm. and Vietnam. And predominantly there were white working class people where right. I grew up in East London. So when you when you think of East London, some people think of like Hackney, which is known yeah. for predominantly sort of the African Caribbean community. True. But I grew up in the East End part. If oh, anyone yeah. knows East Enders, mm -hmm. they were so that bit, which is why I talk a bit like this. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's cool. Like my, my I'm the youngest of, of six kids. So my brothers and sisters were all like ahead of me in mm -hmm. school. We were quite a friendly popular open family okay. so had lots of friends there was a lot of stuff going on in the community those times so there was a lot of like after school clubs okay. and did you have any particular interest well i mean journalism really <laughs> from a very young age from the age of around 14 really i kind of knew i wanted to be a journalist i was <laughs> drawing like headline newspaper or drawing newspapers on a4 paper well, and then writing headlines really like, at 14 at 14 but i i also you know as i studied was working part-time in a hair salon okay. on a Saturday because I, ne I needed to make my change because right? mm. I had things to do. Right. So I was getting paid like £2 an hour, okay. which was decent in uh, those days. Yeah, especially for a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I worked in a hair salon, which actually was the beginning of me 
learning how to communicate well mm. meet different communities because it was an it was a caribbean salon right oh, okay. in, in dawson in hackney so all of, although i grew up in like i said the working class white part of east end i was going to this sort of hairdressers on a saturday mm. every single week with it was run by like a, a, a guyanese woman who i call my godmother now but the majority of the workers there were from different parts of the caribbean okay and so the people that frequented there was also were from different parts of the oh. african caribbean community so okay. yeah it was lovely it was the first time i was able to sort of really understand you know the dynamics between the different types of africans and different types of caribbean mm. people you know my parents being from ghana the majority of people in, in my household were either like Ghanaians mm. or my kind of close friends. So okay. being in a community like that, it was nice to, yeah, start to sort of understand different cultures within okay. our community. Okay. So did you take that experience of talking to people in the hair salon to university and mix it with a little bit of your journalism? Or? It was kind of seamless. I think what that experience did do for me is begin my my network right oh. so some of the people's hair that i was doing for example one of the women anthea lee who now works for like bbc world news or whatever she was working for a newspaper at the time called new nation okay and i used to wash her hair and blow dry her and she had this really sort of big beautiful natural hair so i used to nice. spend a lot of time with her i used to do the shampooing and the blow drying so i used to just talk about what my dreams were you know mm. this, by this time i'm like 15 16 and i'm like mm. you know i want to work in magazines i want to work in newspapers she was already working in a paper which i didn't know and she said oh, oh you should come and do some work experience with us oh nice right so then i, le I learned the power of speaking your dreams out loud right? mm. or speaking your ideas out loud. you don't know who's listening yeah. and who can support you um yeah and so she yeah, she got me. She got me my first sort of work experience job in a, in, a, in a newspaper, which I later on went to work for. But I guess we can talk about that in a bit. And okay. that was my first experience. But I I studied. I went to. I did my GCSEs. I did my A levels. You know, mm -hmm. as you do English media, whatever. Right. And then I I had my my heart set on going to a place called the London College of Communication. Okay. So that was. I mean, and you may have heard of the London College of Fashion. Yeah. It's like a sister, sister community to that yeah. for the for the print world. Okay. But then it was called the London College of Printing that's known as London College of Communication University of the Arts whatever uh, but I wanted to go there so I worked my way backwards I was like okay I want to go there what do I need to get to go there right. oh, okay I need X amount of points via okay. A levels and right. then I need to get to get my A levels I need to get X amount of GCSEs okay. right, so I didn't overly think school I was just like strategic just know, I, I know what I knew to get I know where I'm going I just need to know what it's exactly gotcha. but funny story so during that time when I was doing the work experience at New Nation and I was actually I got the bug for it doing work experience and I started writing to other newspapers national and local and started doing a bit of work experience and started creating this portfolio and so by the time I'd, I'd done my A-levels I actually was like two points away from what I needed to get into university because okay. I was supposed to do three A-levels one of them was psychology I couldn't deal with it I dropped out <laughs> really uh, yeah the irony I was like my brain couldn't take it wow yeah and so I instead like I refused to admit that I couldn't get in and oh. so I just called them up I called up and ended up speaking to like the dean of that particular um diploma that I wanted to do and I was just he was just quiet on the phone I was just telling him look okay. this is this is what I want to do I've had my heart set on this and this is what I've been doing over the past couple of years and you know how can I get in and I'm only two points away and hmm. he just said come and see me so I actually okay. went to go and see him with my portfolio 
and my stories and sat down in front of him and gave my whole spiel and he saw all the vox pops and the cutouts and the editing that i'd been doing for for various different publications um and he and he let me in he let me oh in. he just he let you in. in yeah 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 that's when i realized it's all a farce you know <laughs> <laughs> it's all a farce yeah so so, yeah all that studying <laughs> is not yeah. no 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 no, no i'm not <laughs> saying education is good education is good you know i learned the power of you know beyond just it's the books grades, yeah right there's other things that you can actually do and passion as well like i'd love to speak to him now actually and find out what what he actually saw in me that he probably thought if i don't let her in she's probably not going to leave me alone yeah <laughs> so just... i mean maybe you just saw like oh she has all these things she's already done she has experience yeah. so, i mean this would help her maybe boost her and give her a career yeah you yeah, know for sure and and the, the beauty about that course was it was run by real top journalists at mm. the time so those, those journalists were writing for like the mirror and whatever at that and the guardian and whatever and like papers that i was mm. reading and learning about journalism through and so when i yeah when i when i got in i mean i think that was for me the beginning of i, I guess where i am today in a sense really okay yeah. so you've gotten in now so when you started going to the london school of communications what was the experience like so that was great. So there was two things you could have done. You could have done the degree and you could have done the diploma. The degree okay. was more, you know, essays and mm. whatever, dissertations. And then the diploma was, which is what I was kind of advised to go on, was much more practical. You oh. ran the school newspaper. Okay. And you were out doing real stories and you had to go and like find stories. You Talk had to, to come people, in. Yeah. You had deadlines. And I worked on... I worked as a sub-editor, actually, mostly, because that's okay. what I wanted to be. I didn't realise I wanted to be that at the time, but it was a sub-editor, basically, is the person who, after you've gone out and got the story as a mm -hmm. journalist, you submit it, mm -hmm. it then goes to the designers, the designers design the design page everything. and everything, and then the sub-editor is the one who, like, basically edits the piece, makes sure everything fits together, does the headlines. And I thought, and, and I just loved the idea of, like, reading, you know, people's work and right. beautifying it. And making it look making better. Making it look good and then presenting it as a package. So, so to me, that was great. Yeah, I really enjoyed it with CP. I met some really good people there as well. Some of the people that went there at that time have done really well for themselves in the, in the industry. Others went into completely different <laughs> to fields. Um, fields. But yeah, for me, that was that was a very rich experience, okay. um, especially from where I was coming from, because I was probably you know one of the only people from East End from the East End okay. <laughs> in that class. Did Did your parents want you to go into journalism, or did they said like, okay, since that's your passion, go for it? My parents were extremely unconventional. They're not the mm -hmm. kind of Ghanaian parents that were like doctor, lawyer, that, those mm -hmm. stories that I hear people talk about. Right. I'm, I'm just like, phew. <laughs> uh, or it's either that or my parents were just like, she's the last one, we can't be bothered with her. Like, like, right. what she wants. But no, they were, they were super supportive. My dad is very much of the school of, you know, do what makes you happy. And then my mom, her dad was a journalist in Ghana oh, right? and, and in the UK. So okay. we come from that, you know, from back in the day. He, mm. it's, it wasn't new to them. They actually thought it's probably in her blood. Yeah, he was a big PRO as well. He mm. worked for the Ghana News Agency, etc. So, okay, so you come it, from a family yeah, of like, yeah, exactly. My brother, you know, one of my brothers is an actor, and I've so we we're all quite creative in a sense. Okay. Um, it weren't a surprise to them at all. They were very supportive. Okay, so you went to college, you did it, the newspaper sub editing. So, how long did it take to graduate? Uh, so it was only about, I think about two and a half, three years. It weren't long. Okay. It was a really short, like it weren't no four year thing. But I think about after about two years. But the thing is, I continued to 
build on the network that I spoke to you about right, right in, in the, the hair salon because yeah. it took me a while to leave the hair salon I mean I couldn't have left the hair salon I carried oh, on still so you're still salon. working oh, there? absolutely I love that place that oh. place is great Caprius in um in Kingsland High Road uh, yeah it's, it was amazing and yeah I continued to do that so by the time I'd left I actually had a job like waiting already. for me already right but I went to this job it was it was what was it called? I can't remember. The big listings company or something like that. Mm. Just to give you context, my class at uni were the first class to learn, what do you call it, coding. Okay. In that school. Because really? it was that early on. That's how old I am. Like, no, don't look so confused. You're like, uh, what? Are you 100? No. no. I was, it was my school. My school. That My class was the first one to... I had no idea what they were talking about. Yeah, so that, I was going that's to those, like yeah, yeah, alien was, technology. What is yeah, this? Yeah, but they were very early with it. They were just like, look, this is what's coming. And mm. we, we were trying to look at like building websites, essentially, because okay. it was part of the media. And I think they were exploring mm. that world. But it kind of went over my head a little bit. But that's kind of how early it was. So wow. I'm just saying that to give context of the publication that I went to work for. So if you have cable television, or DSTV or whatever back yeah. in the UK you used to get every month this publication that would tell you what's coming up yeah, did you yeah, get that yeah we, get, we got that yeah. too I think DSTV had a magazine that they give us exactly yeah. so it was a magazine like that was yeah. my first like official job and I was a sub-editor on that so okay. I, I can imagine how pedantic that was like going for all of the different listings wow, but I was lot. happy it was good and I was there for a while and then I got promoted within three months mm. and then uh about three weeks or so, i mean less than a month after my promotion uh i got made redundant <laughs> so oh, wow. because they lost the contracts like one of oh. the yeah one of the channels or whatever pulled out and then they were so like low. oh we gotta let people go i mean i was sort of one of the youngest yeah so it was like my biggest worry was how am i going to pay for like the car that i just bought like oh, and wow. i was buying like i had a car on hp where you pay every month yes yeah, so these were my troubles but there was other people that had you know families and yeah they got to take care of them yeah 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 and mortgages so I wasn't too sad but I remember the day that I was told I spent probably about two or three hours just phoning up all of the people that I knew you knew yeah got any jobs got any jobs and funny enough uh, somebody that I'd been to uni with was working for that same publication that the woman whose hair I was washing yeah was at so yeah he picked up the phone and was like look there, there, there might be a job here speak to the editor hmm. which I did the editor gave me sort of very brief kind of interview and he said look somebody's a sub editor is off for two weeks you can come and cover for her sure. if you want so that was one option and in the financial times somebody that i knew there had called me and was like oh we've got a job but it's only for two days a week or three days a week and i was like mm. oh that doesn't sound like a lot of money yeah like, i wasn't yeah, thinking two days i, I wasn't week, thinking yeah. about like you know what, what, yeah, what road experience. that would lead me to yeah. <laughs> because i'd already done work experience at financial so you got all experience so I, was like, yeah. I was like no let me go down this new nation road i love like this sounds a bit more i don't know my instinct i guess my intuition mm. said to go down that road so cool. i did I, I covered for two for two weeks and ended up staying in that company for how long was that about seven years oh <laughs> yeah. okay that's a long I time i did loads of other things but, but that's kind of long and short of it i ended up oh, I, didn't, wow. I didn't leave the editor didn't let me leave after that oh so yeah. they kept you on like yeah you're not going anywhere yeah but i didn't stay on as a sub so i moved from sub to the news desk from the okay. news desk to entertainment editor and okay. then that's when i mean it really sort of by 2002 2003 that's when my career just like completely shooting off oh yeah. wow okay so you stayed there for seven years yeah and getting all the experience you know news editing and it's entertainment so what was your next move well i mean my next move came during that period okay. so it was i was at the publication we were you know churning out lots of stories about what's happening in the entertainment field 
the UK music scene at the time was mm. nowhere near as prominent as it is today. No, this yeah. is a time when Americans were dominating yeah. all headlines, even within publications in the UK. Mm. And my argument was having grown up in the East End with a lot of creatives, a lot of artists that were coming up, you know, whether it's Wiley, J2K, Dizzy Rascal, and Estelle. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can go on and on. Yeah. Skepta, there's so many of them that were coming up at the time. I was arguing that we should be writing about them internally, mm. like not just them, but also some comedians that were coming up. Yeah. And and like I got a lot of pushback initially, but then I, it was it was so solid that went to twenty one went to number one with twenty one seconds. Also, mm. Craig David, yeah, Craig David uh, too, came yeah. out at the time. Miss um, Dynamite came out, mm. and I think what happened with the editor started to see. We actually came in one day and said, "My nieces and nephews are singing singing those songs, songs that you always yeah. talk about." There's something and then, here. And then he gave me a column to just write about that stuff. Okay. And then so my, my career started to build on the back of like the entertainment, the UK entertainment scene. And so I was really a big fan of pushing the underdog because I knew how mm. journalism worked, right? I know how doorstepping works. Mm. I know how to do investigative journalism. Right. I understand news agendas. I know all of that kind of what I would call yeah, boring stuff. Right. For me, it was like, okay, I know the rules, now I want to break them, right? How can I use these rules? How can I understand this industry? Just like step over step over them a bit. Well, kind of, but, but it's not, you have to push the barriers a bit, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Because there were other stories that needed to be told. True. And every publication has its agenda. That's yeah. how newspapers work. People yeah. get really frustrated about why they're not writing about this and that. It's because if you were there every Monday listening to how things go in a newsroom, mm -hmm. you would know that you need an advocate in there to push, push a news yeah. agenda like in the direction in which you were going in. I mean, things have changed now. Obviously, you tweet <laughs> in the morning and that's the news agenda. Basically. But, but in those days, like you really had to you know prove that there was a story to be told. And, mm. and I did. And then, you know... It just so happened that, you know, that the universe was pushing the, the artists in a way that they'd never done before. So there was artists going into the charts. There was people like Channel U coming up at the time. You had obviously YouTube before that, we had MySpace and all that, but then YouTube yeah, was coming MySpace up. So people up. were starting to really build their own audiences, you know, and push the industry on their own terms. And I was documenting that. My thing was to document that. Like try and see who's going to be the next big stars, or who do I um, genuinely believe is um, worth giving thing. them giving promotion to. I didn't. Really, I guess I didn't think of it as the next big thing, but just people that were doing great, great stuff, yeah. right? Cause some some of them they're just like not even in the industry anymore. So a lot of the people <laughs> that I woke about, I wrote about. I think one's even a bus driver or whatever. But oh, wow. um, yeah, but that's cool. So from there, I was then sort of poached, if you like, no, not poached because I stayed there, but I was. Mm. Headhunted by uh, somebody called Angie Lamar. She is a huge radio presenter in the UK. Mm. She was doing her thing. She had just taken over a big radio show on a Saturday morning by another gentleman called Jeff Schumann, who was also quite big um, at the time. And that was a big story in our community, right? So who was mm. going to take over from Jeff's show? Mm. Turned out to be Angie, who was already known as a brilliant B comedian. She mm. was doing great productions in theatre, but she was also good at presenting and she she got the role. Um, yeah. And I broke the story of her getting that role. Oh, and nice. In my interview of like asking her about you know this new show, um, she then said to me that she'd like me, you know, she loves my column and she'd like me to be part of her show, like oh, come nice. on and talk about, you know, the entertainment world. Right, right, right. So that's how I got into radio. So I ended okay. up going on to her radio show every Saturday to talk about what was going to be on my column on the Monday. You see what oh, I mean? Oh, wow, so, okay. So, she, so every Monday the paper that I worked for came out. And then you come and give like a voice I would voice come on snippet. a Saturday and be like, yeah, 
this is what I've been up to this week. Let, read more about it in the paper on right, Monday. Monday. So she, I ended up on her show for like four years, like every Saturday wow. for four years. Yeah, yeah. Have you said it for four years? For four years. I used to go all the way to Leicester Square from East London. So from East to West, be there, you know, before 9am and be on the show for like 15 minutes. And wow, be, 15 yeah, that, minutes. That would be it, yeah. Myself and another great friend of mine now called Dion Grant. She was working for The Voice. So Angie mm. was amazing at like, to bringing up the next generation right. so that was my sort of break into radio so but i was still doing my column then i'm on radio then angie leaves so mm. this is all within the seven years of me still being at the paper right wow. so then angie leaves and then i was offered her show so i became the anchor wow. of that show again it then accelerated for me in terms of like profile and in terms of being able to then take that idea that i had around wanting to push the uk music scene mm. And then bring it to like a, a commercial radio platform. I mean, Choice FM is now Capital Extra, if you know mm -hmm. anything about Yeah, Choice yeah, FM, I remember so, those. So that was sort of a big thing. And like, aside from that, one of the other sort of people that I met along the way uh, was who's now become a great mentor and friend of mine, a gentleman called Peter Murray, who had, um, he'd launched Pride magazine, but also had his own at the time record label and stuff going on. He had asked me to do some PR for him. Oh, so the and network effect is really working Exactly. Here. So then I ended up like starting this PR company and I was like 24 years old at the time. Wow. So, so I was kind you of... you done a lot of things when you Well, at that time, floor. yeah. But remember, I started when I was 14, 15. Yeah. Right? So by then I was basically like on my way to retirement. <laughs> but no, but this, these are the things that were going on at yes. that period of time. So it was like the, the newspaper, the radio, radio the yeah. PR, and I was doing like events, music events and stuff like that. Okay. So just utilising my position to to push under underrepresented talent at the time cool okay so the pr company was it your pr company or you're working for a pr company yeah no it was my pr company so peter okay. was very and this is what i say like everybody should get mentors in their life because mm. i never saw that for myself he saw it i mean i just interviewed one of his artists one day and then mm. he was like "Acosta, you should really get into PR I think you'd be great wow. at that and then I was like what's that and he was like don't worry I'll show you here's oh. some money I'll give you every month just to promote <laughs> my artist right and right. all it meant what all he was saying was look get if you can get my artist into this publication that, that publication pu yeah. this publication maybe on this radio station that radio station uh, then your job's done and I was okay. like well that's easy because yeah. that person who runs that publication is my friend and that person I know so likes I can just like, call so them up like, yeah so that is kind of how it started and then you know he turned that into a structure for me and then talked me about how business works and then mm. we had he actually, he's actually got a book called self-made in which he talks a bit about this so he then yeah really sort of mentored me and nurtured me into that world of pr and i was doing that sim simultaneously as being a broadcaster i ran that for a, a good few years as well nice like what was the experiences working for a pr company did you have any challenges in the beginning or even in, at the end um, the well the challenge was i had a full-time job right <laughs> so i had to hire talent so i had to hire like publicists okay. so young people that wanted to get into pr train them a little bit and then give them an account right so if, uh, if uh, artists came on board it was like i'd sort of do a strategy and then i'd pay like most of that money to like a 
a publicist who would then go off and, and just really actually execute the work right? right and then would have meetings on a regular basis about okay. it all but then it, it started growing started growing really quickly so i ended mm. up doing you know a lot of angie lamar stuff mm-hmm. she was doing bigger and bigger productions i started doing the pr for her we had people like samini even came to oh the uk okay. to launch his album at the time and we sort of coordinated that okay there was this whole massive channel u awards and channel u was like the mm. biggest music station yeah. in the uk at the time they had one award show called the best of british and we mm. kind of co- co-produced that right so oh, wow. and i had a full-time job yeah so you're working all the, so you're working so i wasn't sleeping right a so weekend you, you didn't were exist. just and was, grinding here and was, there i mean but i loved it i absolutely loved it and i was on a roll it was really cool oh nice so how did you go from doing entertainment music all this for pr and then jump all the way into tech okay so i had not had a break during that period so everything yeah. i've told you right from the hair salon yeah. up till the the radio music, yeah i did not stop literally so i obviously had my friends and my family people around me but they got used to the fact that i was either out of the country You're doing here and there or working yeah. right and so what made me stop was in 2012 my mum died suddenly. Oh. And when I say suddenly, I mean she was having a Chinese with my brother, went to go and take a nap and didn't wake up oh, suddenly. Wow. Like, And that was the biggest shock to my system. And I was close to my mum and as you can imagine, it was super devastating. But mm-hmm. it was also the first time that I was able to think more deeply about the right. skill sets that I had right. and about, you know, what I wanted to do with my life, right? Okay. Essentially, right? I know it sounds really cliche, but that's what no, happened. No, yeah, it happens. But at that point, I was... Um, yeah, I kind of went numb for a bit. I mean, lots of things had changed anyway. I'd, I'd gone and done some stuff for uh, BET in Hollywood. I just left that choice. It had been mm-hmm. bought by the global group or whatever, and it turned into capital. So my position was changing anyway. Mm-hmm. Online was becoming really prominent. Yeah, so the, the internet, traditional yeah. PRs, what people were looking for anymore. They had, right. you know, the, the, the online things. world. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was, uh, it came at a time when I also had to sort of just look around me and, mm-hmm. and, as much as I enjoyed what I was doing, it, there was, I felt there was more to it, if you know what I mean. I felt like there was more deeper. to me, something deeper I could find. I didn't know. I think it was the mourning process that made me start coming back to Ghana initially, because I'd been to Ghana a couple of times during my journalism time. Ghana at 50, I came with Jay-Z, Beyonce and those guys. Yeah. Yeah, I started coming back in a more meaningful way, you know, mm, visiting family, right. doing mentoring, okay. you know, just looking around. And I just decided by 2013, I, I was like, no, I want to do something. More I just want to do something back home. And because okay. I started also looking at why did my mum and dad come to back the to UK? Ghana. It was yeah. it was about positioning an opportunity. It wasn't necessarily about uh, because that's better or that's not. It was just, you know, circumstances mm-hmm. and I realized how blessed actually I was to have been able to have that experience of being outside of Ghana, but I'm a Ghanaian. Right, mm. at the end of the day yeah. and there's a lot not just oh I want to come back to help in some NGO way yeah. there was a lot going on here that I started learning about I right. was like you see it okay. in your eyes yeah so I launched AB 2020 which initially was just a, new, a newsletter because I couldn't be here full time at yeah. that point <laughs> yeah you're so still I was like, working when I, but when I was going back it was irritating I was like what can I do what can I do so I just started mm. doing similar to what you're doing now right so just telling stories right, right through because that's my background yeah. I knew how to do you know the newsletters designs, yeah. I'd built a nice database of email addresses. So I just started interviewing people that I'd come across, whether it's like Josiah from iSpace or mm-hmm. French Kiss, the DJ. That's like, initially it was like diasporians, but then right. 
sort of built into like local people and then people that generally were investing in Africa. I just started telling them mm. stories. So it'd be like six or seven stories in a newsletter and then I'll just send that out once a week, send it out once a week. And then just... I started getting people contacting me a lot about <laughs> it, right? And then I started going to a lot of events, the Africa-focused events at the time in the UK all mm. seem to be focused on tech. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's so you had too. a lot of, I mean, they had something called the Africa Technology Business Network mm -hmm. run by a, a brilliant woman called Eunice Paul at the time. And these were very, <laughs> you'd go to these events and there'd be just few people there. Right. But I was like, there was nowhere else where I could go to, to go get that energy. To, yeah, right? I was like, no, them. I'm in this energy. I want to stay in it. But every time I was going to these events, I noticed that the Africa tech scene really just focused at that time around South Africa, Kenya. Yeah, it was mostly um, Southern Africa. Nigeria. And in Rwanda, all for good reason. Yep. Ghana would get like an honourable mention, but mm. it was like there wasn't much conversation going on about it. And I was like, right. hold on. But when I'm in Ghana, I you can see, see a lot. the rise of like the tech hubs. I was yeah. seeing the use of mobile money growing. I was seeing a few like local entrepreneurs building local yeah. products, etc., etc. But no one was talking about it in the UK. Mm. So I was like, okay, that's interesting. And so by now it's 2016, right? Okay. So I decided to just to sort of keep an eye on that. But what I was really actually doing in, at that time was a couple of like business missions into Ghana. So I partnered mm. with someone called Dr. Harnett. We started bringing people from the diaspora that wanted to do business in Ghana to Ghana. She took them to other parts of the world as well. But that was my sort of part in it. And mm. so AB2020 went from being a newsletter to like going into business, business. missions mm -hmm. and then we started doing a little bit of event management for a few people okay and then eventually i, I was like no i need to do this <laughs> this this teching garden i literally i remember the day that i came up with it i was like we just need to do an event simple teching garden and then just bring people who are doing tech in ghana into one space, space yeah so that i started playing with it playing with it and then i got approached by the uk gcc the uk ghana Ch chamber of commerce okay. had just been launched and the ceo at the time tony berkson had reached out to me he was following me on linkedin had seen some of the work that i was doing uh, with maybe 2020 and said right. look we should do something together so i met with him and i was like look i've got this idea to do a tech conference but not sure it's going to work i want to do it in the uk but i want it to be Ghanaian voices yeah and he was like great you know uh, we've got Ghanaian tech companies already yeah. on board yeah. we can bring them to the uk let's do it so you know february 2017 we launched tech in ghana and it was you know we're talking express pay interpay yeah. at the time yeah, um, m pedigree ipmc vodafone the mm -hmm. bank of ghana like it was proper high level. level names yeah yeah that came um but it went really really well and so it wasn't about me being a techie. I am not a techie. But it was about <laughs> me bringing people into one space. Who are in tech all in one space. To convene and to talk about. And, 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 on, and on my side, we was also managed to get like the UK Ghana, the Prime Minister's trade envoy to Ghana at the time, Adam Afriye. He came and supported it. The Ghana Commission mm. supported it. So I realised that there was a massive gap because there were so many people mm. gravitating to this, mm -hmm. like, to this thing. Right. And I was right because when the event happened, actually a few of those guys said to me, "Costi, this is really good, but you should probably try and do this in Ghana. Because at that time, mm. there wasn't even events in Ghana like that. There might That's be one true. or two yeah, with a focus on a particular like, yeah, sector. sector. Yeah. But for tech in Ghana, no. So I was like, okay. So I came back out to Ghana that year, a meeting with Ursula, who's obviously uh, the Minister for Communications at the time. She'd just actually not long got that position. And mm -hmm. then she loved the idea, massively supported it, and had just was just about to open the Aqua Digital yeah, Centre. Yeah. So she was like, oh, we can do it at this it's place. Perfect place. So I went there, met David Afori, who runs the place. And mm -hmm. then he was like, all for it. And so 
November the same year, November 2017, mm-hmm. we launched Tech in Ghana there. The first edition. Um, and it, you know, was bigger than I could have yeah. ever imagined. Yeah. Right? It, because what I did with that was bring all my skill sets, literally all the skill sets I'd built over the past over the years, years yeah. into, one, into one moment, right? And yeah, and, and I think the impact of that was great. So the main things that sort of Tech in Ghana aimed to do was to like raise the profile, as you know, like to... Mm-hmm. A global audience yeah but then also provide an opportunity for like public private third sectors to come together and deeper collaboration yeah conversations and, and, yeah. and then and then also to like boost and drive investment right which you know i sound like i work for the gipc but <laughs> the truth is it's true that's what was needed like you can just see how can there was people like oh how can i invest and and i didn't know much about vcs and yeah, yeah, no private capital, yeah. you know inv- like what do they call it private capital yeah private capital <laughs> all of that i felt a bit like but I was learning as I went along at the right. time and and it was worthwhile because you know some of the some of the companies that that started coming and the people that I started putting together started actually collaborating mm. there was conversion that was happening nice. and we were like okay we need to keep doing this which I did for like well as you know the past well, five years yes. <laughs> twice a year both in London and and, in, and, Accra, yeah. and that was with or without support right so it was it wasn't a government event it was always oh, yes, across you, here. Yeah. if there's people that couldn't get involved the following year it would still need to happen sure if i couldn't partner with but people would always endorse it but they wouldn't necessarily always be able to hands-on support right it. okay so i had to keep it going joe regardless, <laughs> regardless of whether you got support or and i'm not. talking like money out my own pocket regardless. wow that's like that's like entrepreneurship 101 this bootstrap 101 mate and, and the funniest thing is i never really was doing it with the idea of it being a company, so to speak. Hmm. You know what I mean? Because AB twenty twenty was the company. Yeah. Taking on is just a flagship event yeah, under, the company. under the company. But it just it just was became so big that it overtook oh. um AB twenty twenty. So but yeah, it's been I mean it's been worth it. I mean I'm fully fully invested. Fully, fully yes. invested into the space. Yes, because you have one coming up this year as well. Yes, it's our tenth edition this year yeah. in November. And I would say that this is there's something that feels different about it. The fact that even that we're starting so many months ahead. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the agenda's almost done and we're only in September. Yeah, we're in September. Whereas, yeah, previously, you know, it would be you're still trying to find speakers to, mm-hmm. to come to the know, day, yeah. a month before. But no, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know what's beautiful about it is that a lot, of the, a lot of the entrepreneurs that I'm speaking to now, the people that are taking part in it, I mean, they're, they're fully fledged. I mean, you can't call mm. them startups. No, they're not startups. Like, Big comp- These are tech big boys, comp- yeah, now, the tech companies, you know, big boys and girls that have really built their companies to what I had hoped to always see. It reminds me of like what I was doing back in the UK yeah. with the UK music artists, right? right. It's like the underdogs, <laughs> kind of managing them. Yeah. yeah, well, I'm not managing them at, at all, but it's just but, like highlighting them yeah, and then watching them. them grow, right? right? Watching them grow. So if you look at the the music art, music industry today in the UK, it's like that is popular music now, mm. and and I believe the same thing for. Uh, tech entrepreneurs in Ghana like they started out as startups but we're now seeing them become because grow and become know, bigger. the mainstream and mm-hmm. I and I believe truly believe there'll be household names many of them yeah I think they so, will too yeah okay so I have a question so from your, your experiences past years growing up going to school and managing these companies do you have any like maybe regrets or things you were done differently now that you're now a bit older no Everything just went perfect. Like you, no, you, it didn't we, go perfectly well. You're joking, <laughs> Joe. No way. Listen, if I talk to, I'm talking to you about the business side or the or yeah. the, the 
the bit that everybody sees. So the there's another part that people don't see, the, the human part. The and behind is, the scenes Honestly, part. I know I spoke to you about wanting to start, you know, I'm starting a podcast soon <laughs> and part of it is going to be about the, the human, human behind side. the vision. And I got that from, shout out to Esther Armar. She helped me kind of really like refine that. And, you know, we're talking about regrets and stuff like that. It's, um, you yeah, know, my health hmm. was one thing that suffered very early on, 2007. You know, I remember being told I had PCOS, like post which is like a condition, a, a female condition. Yeah. I'm going to, too deeply, but I didn't know nothing about that. But that was based on the fact that I wasn't eating well. I wasn't okay, exercising. So a lot I of work. Yeah, yeah, so it took a while for me to get to, like, to build that part of myself up. Mm. I'm really into like trying to keep fit now. Cool. Certain, certain things I probably shouldn't be doing, but you know, <laughs> like I still like to party and stuff. But <laughs> yeah, but, but, but yeah, my health definitely at some point deteriorated. Obviously relationships, um, mm. you yeah, know, both love relationships and friendships you know had to in one way or another like be, be affected or, or they didn't have to be affected but were affected mm. like during this process of me being in my own world and wanting to live my dream right but right. what are they regrets not not well not so much regrets but there was sacrifice yeah sacrifices you know what i mean yeah, there was yeah. there was there compromises was pain along the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's a lot of pain along the way so as much as people see you on the one hand you know i guess moving up their ladder so to speak or um, progressing and succeeding mm -hmm. in this kind of sort of material world, like the, the internally, there's sometimes yeah, some, some turmoil. And I think anybody, anyone who's done who's done well in their life, will probably tell you the same thing, right? Mm. Or, or maybe, maybe not. But I'm more than happy to say that you know it's not been easy. You know, when yeah. you have to, and you know, there's sometimes when th there might have been an event, or I have to go and interview somebody, or something's you have to go on radio, mm -hmm. you know, and really, and you just spend the morning crying over something, right? Yeah, that's the reality. That's the reality, and it's those things that actually I pat myself on the back for. I don't regret have any regrets, but I, I definitely would say that you know, self-development along the way hmm. has been super important. Okay. Um, and I don't play with that right. part of myself. Cool. Okay, even in relation to that, if you had to give somebody upcoming who is trying to maybe build their own company, like something like yours, what is entertainment, tech, whatever, like what advice would you give them as far as trying to build their company or have a successful career? I mean, I wouldn't say I'm in a position to tell people how to build a company. Right? Or just advice. These guys speak to those, those kick-ass entrepreneurs. No, right, but, no, but you, no, because but, you can but, build no, a career. It's, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What advice would I give you? I mean, do you know, consistency is key. Mm. I mean, sometimes it's what you're doing is not sexy. Sometimes mm. what you're doing is it feel it like they've got nothing to post about. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. You've, I got, you've got nothing to shout about. Right. You know, you've got to really do it and be consistent in your doing like understand mm. why you're doing it and be truthful to yourself about why you're doing it do you see what i'm saying because you're going to need that along the way you're going to need to when, uh, those days when you just want to like pack up or whatever yeah and just like yeah just fall. like you're going to need to draw on something you're going to need to be able to draw on something so i'd say be very mindful about and honest with yourself about why you choose to do certain things especially with something like tech in ghana like if you're looking to do an event for, mm -hmm. you know conferences and events people i've seen a million of them come and go mm. right and True. people don't see that it's beyond the conference now right it's yeah beyond it's... that so it's like what what's your why for doing it um definitely like look after your mindset like the people that you're around what you're reading 
what you're eating, how your exercise, like look after yourself. Mm, that's very important. Like the self, because you're the conduit to it all. And yeah. if you're not looking after your mental health, if you're not like conscious of what you're putting into your your mind, if mm-hmm. you're not conscious of your thoughts, and, and this is not to say people always think when you when you're trying to like get yourself into a positive mindset, mindset yeah. that you're positive all the time. Hell True. to the no. Like that's not what the thing is. But it's about equipping yourself so that when certain things happen, that you have the, the tools and exactly. yeah, the tools to actually exactly. get better. So I'd say those kind of because any you know things come and go you might genuinely go off the thing that you're working on and want to work on something else that's fine but you still have to take yourself with you right <laughs> so i was like, like that would be the number one thing it's like just just look after look after yourself get yourself if you can a mentor and a circle of people who not necessarily have to even do what you're doing but mm. have some kind of ambition or who have some kind of you know who have a positive mindset right in a sense and this is, doesn't mean that they have to be like some successful whatever yeah. artist or entrepreneur this yeah. could be somebody who just wants it could be a friend who's a housewife or whatever but <laughs> but somebody has a mindset that is progressive do you know what i mean yeah absolutely because yeah you, these people will be like I, I mean i won't be who i am with, without my support network yes. my brothers my sisters my friends like a lot of my friends are my friends from day one mm. You know, a couple of the, the women, the girls in my circle now, they're all on their own paths, you know, doing, doing their thing. own thing. But we support each other fully, fully yes. on those days when things ain't going right or money ain't in the bank or whatever. Just lean on each other and, mm-hmm. and no one's judging. Do you know right. what I'm saying? So you, yeah. you need that. I don't know what I would have done without that a lot of the time. So, yeah, make sure your circle is strong, man. You're not yes. you, you're not doing it on your own. You're not going to be doing it on your own. There you go. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So currently... Okay, since now we're, you're trying to now do your 10th edition of Tech in Ghana, what keeps you going nowadays? Like, what's on your mind as far as inspiration? Who do you look up to nowadays? What keeps you going? <laughs> I'm not looking up, I'm looking down at my two-year-old daughter. <laughs> she is, <laughs> she encourages me. People were like, okay, she's having a child now. So surely she's going to slow, slow down. <laughs> like, no. And, and I did, but that was because she was born during COVID. And I mm. think that that was like, I see that as God on my side in a sense, because I'm not sure that I would have been so, you know, attentive and I'm not sure that I would have spent as much time and effort as I did in the first year of her life had I mm. still been, com- have you know, had the these commitments, four, yeah. right? And, and COVID just shut everything down. She was literally mm. born like, um, you know, in April and COVID came in, in, in March. March. So yeah. I had a whole year of just being wow. a mother and it, and it was the most like beautiful experience and the, the rest that I didn't know I needed I mean other than Clubhouse mm. I mean I was <laughs> okay. called Juju in that time yeah. Clubhouse it was just literally you know a beautiful time and she she makes me more mindful about how I spend my time if I'm not going to be with her then mm. I better be doing something right. that makes sense right and so and I know that I'm not one of them people that are going to sit at home and because that, that would drive me mad I'll be the worst mother because right. if I know that i need to keep moving Moving, i want to do for society like that's just in my blood 
and I think yeah and I think and I enjoy what I do right these things make me happy but if I'm going to be doing it whereas before I'd might be a little bit loose with my time and I'll be, be oh you know going to things you don't really need to be going to or mm -hmm. whatever yeah she's made me much more laser focused and when I look at things like Tech in Ghana it's like okay yes it is your 10th edition mm -hmm. but you, I'm not just doing it now for the sake of the fact that oh the time has yeah. come and I need to do, do another one at the time it's like no what we what do we really want to get out of this yeah, what wait, value why, why do we really want to bring to the ecosystem yeah. what can happen next and and I always you know I don't sit and answer these questions by myself I always seek counsel from the people in the industry okay. and from the ecosystem like some have become really great friends and even ones that I don't really know that well I will listen more and more mm. I'm very more careful in my listening okay. I think more before I, I make a decision on things okay. I'm a bit more courageous because I'm like damn I've got another mouth to feed so, yeah so you gotta you keep know? going yeah so, so why you better, that thing that you're scared of going for girl you better go it's either that or that right yeah. so I think that she she's definitely she's definitely like one of my biggest like source of inspiration nice. at my, awesome. my two-year-old daughter that's cool thanks for listening to this episode and thanks to Akushia for joining us and sharing her personal story so don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already and share with your network if you haven't Thank you for listening to this episode and we'll see you in the next one.